Welcome to the Paid in Full Podcast. I'm Devin Fadul, and in this show, I sit down with creators of all stripes who have decided to follow their passion and carve out a unique path to success. My goal is to dive into their stories, learn about their philosophies, and share their hard-earned wisdom. Today's guest is the one and only Emily Richardson, a language coach who recently stepped onto the entrepreneurial path to help others learn a language, but doing it in a very non-traditional way. She does this mainly by injecting students with a healthy dose of clarity on the learning process itself and also confidence in their own abilities, hence the name of her company, The Language Confidence Project. Emily's passion and her energy are just contagious and really come through in the conversation you're about to hear. So without further ado. Emily Richardson, man, I have been listening to your podcast, which is daily, which I will get to later, but I have no idea how you do that. But you have just like this calming, resonant voice that I cannot get enough of. It's almost ASMR quality. I don't know if you're into that, but I figured we'd start with, tell me about what you're doing. Like, how do you, how are you spending your days right now? Thank you so, so much for having me. I am currently building a community and a fledgling business called the Language Confidence Project. And it started about three years ago. And it's something that I'm really, really excited about. And it's the thing that we connected over first, isn't it, Devin? Mm-hmm. So it started because I have a background in language teaching and I love language learning myself. There is something so magical about seeing yourself just emerge in another language, you know, whatever the language is, it's like you discover more facets to yourself and it's the most beautiful experience. And I love education in general. I love the process of language learning and what that teaches me about the brain. And so naturally, when I uh, left university, I graduated with a degree in languages. I went into language teaching and I did that for about six years. And I realized that I felt like there was something that we were really missing And that was that we were focusing on the sort of system of chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We were focusing on all the wrong things of what apps should I use and what resources and what textbooks. And my feeling was just so strong that people don't quit languages or leave their education disillusioned with languages because they don't know what to do. They don't know what apps to use or or whatever. They quit because they don't believe it's possible. And they quit because they just see it as this massive, like completely unknown, foggy path. And they don't have the tools to deal with the uncertainty and to learn how to teach themselves a language. And so that is what I am now aiming to do. So you were teaching, uh, where were you teaching exactly? So the English secondary school system is 11 to 18. So I was teaching French and Spanish in English secondary schools. And I also taught English to ESL learners. Um, 
I moved to France and I worked a year there in adult education and in China, working in a middle school there as well. Wow. So what were some of the major aspects of the traditional language learning system that really struck you as just not being effective or helpful? Or well, It's difficult because at the moment, it's not obvious to find a better option. You know, when you have one teacher and 32 children and an exam that they all need to pass at the end, it's a really difficult landscape to work in. You know, it's not like we can just suggest a few tweaks and it'll all be okay. But what I can do is when adults who are maybe learning a language through choice or maybe through circumstance, they think about learning a language and they immediately revert back to the default settings of that classroom. They're like, right, I need Spanish. I need it quickly. I'm going to get myself a textbook. I'm going to get myself a desk and I'm going to sit at it and I'm going to give myself rewards and I'm going to give myself punishments and and it becomes so much like what they were doing at school, except that these adults aren't trying to pass the GCSE. These adults are trying to speak to their new husband's family, or they're trying to move to Spain and make friends there, or they need to go into the children's school and deal with parents' evenings, talking to the teachers, in this new language. And they're not gonna get that from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, I'm gonna do some Quizlet, I'm going on Duolingo. And that mismatch, that's what I'm working with at the moment. So who's like your typical client or customer right now? Do you have one? I think there have been a few profiles. So some of them are people who need the language. It's pure necessity. They know they need it. That thought fills them with dread. And with those clients, primarily what we're working with is kind of righting the wrongs of their school days and teaching them how to teach themselves in a way that doesn't feel oppressive or scary. We work on speaking confidence or creating a roadmap that is going to work for their brain and their personality and their interests. Um, I also work with people who absolutely love their language. It is their favorite thing. They are learning it for the pure pleasure of it. But the problem with that, which it, it sounds like it should be the perfect place to be with your language learning, you know, you're just doing it for a hobby. You love the literature or you love the films or whatever it is, or the sound of the language. But very quickly, the language goes on a pedestal and you're almost in that position of, first of all, I love this language, but second of all, am I good enough for this language? Every time I speak it, I'm letting this language down. And you're piling all this pressure on because it's your favorite thing, but also you're a beginner or you're still learning. And um, so I work with a lot of the sort of emotional and productivity barriers to actually I love this so much. I really want it so much that I can't get started or I'm procrastinating because I've got this, you know, loving something and perfectionism can be really close partners. Hmm. Yeah. So how, how did you make that shift from kind of traditional regimented teacher, like you said, in the classroom with 30 kids 
to this very philosophical, emotion-based coach? What happened? Oh, let me tell you, it was a mess. So this is a story for Mm -hmm. you. Um, I decided I was not happy with continuing an education. I felt like in some ways I was contributing to people leaving aged 16 or 18 thinking I hate language lessons. I still can't speak French or Spanish or whatever. And I couldn't fix it. So I left and I started a job in conversational AI and it was so wrong in so many ways. And so I quit after three months and one day, which is the day after probation ended. And I didn't know it yet, but we were just about to go into lockdown. The pandemic when I quit was barely a thing. So when I quit, I didn't know anything about what was coming. And so COVID hit, I was at the third stage of interviews for a further two jobs. And we went into lockdown and both of the jobs obviously halted recruitment. Um, I was caring for two terminally ill relatives. I'd gone back to my hometown to, you know, for, for these relatives. And I was like, life is literally falling apart. Everything was wrong. You know, there was not one aspect that felt like it was just upright, to be honest. Um, And that was 2020 for me. It was hospital beds and illness and preparing for the loss of the two most important people in my life. And it was awful. And what I did during that time, it started actually when France and Spain and Italy had gone into lockdown, but we hadn't yet. I started doing language exchanges with people who were trapped in like their university campuses and things. So people that had maybe moved to the country to do a a semester abroad or a year abroad or started a degree abroad, COVID had hit and they were just a bit lost. (laughs) So I was doing these online language exchanges. I was helping them with their English and I was working in French or Spanish with them. And I started learning Brazilian Portuguese just as a a thing that I was doing. Didn't have any particular expectations from the learning of it. But this was my first big experiment, which is can I learn a language entirely through online language exchanges? So no textbook, no teacher, no formal syllabus or anything like that. Just if I appear on video calls as often as I can with people from Brazil and I help them with their English and they help me with my Portuguese. Can we make this happen? And it was the most magical experiment because that is how the Language Confidence Project was born. My first kind of business was called Tea with Emily and it was about helping people and providing resources to help people make the most of online language exchanges while everybody was in lockdown. And then through working with 
those people and like I said a lot of them were university students a lot of them were learning English for professional development or because they thought it would get them the careers they wanted but they were most certainly not the people that identify as linguists it was sort of a a really good way to be one-to-one mentoring people not just I speak English and you speak Portuguese and we'll figure it out somehow but really coaching people through all the mental and emotional and productivity barriers around it as well. So is that kind of when you realized going through that process, you know, COVID's in full swing, you're locked down, you're online, and you realize it's not so much about the the traditional rote learning aspects. It's just being able to be confident in yourself. Is that, am I uh, kind of overstepping there? Or is it? Not at all. It's about realizing how useful you can be in a language you barely speak. Like when I started in Portuguese, obviously I was starting from zero. So I I learned the days of the week and the numbers. And one of the first topics I learned for obvious reasons were the coronavirus um, vocabulary. You know, are you in quarantine? Um, All of those kinds of questions. It's so strange when there's something going on in the world that's literally affecting everybody because we're not that used to that, you know, to go anywhere and ask people the same question about what's going on around them. So I didn't have a lot of Portuguese at all. I deliberately looked for people who were at the same level in their English. So they had barely any English. I had barely any Portuguese. We did video calls and we walked around the house and we held up objects and we talked about them. I had a whole load of praise words and I was able to, you know, correct their pronunciation and praise them for it. They did the same for me, but in English, we did so much just communicating before we did proper sentence building and well conjugated verbs and all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think the biggest breakthrough, the single biggest breakthrough was realizing that when you have a purpose and you feel really useful in your language right from the start, it is the most empowering thing (laughs) that anything that any language can give you. Was there a website or a platform that you were using for these connections? I was using Tandem, but... I was also just using Instagram. Um, so how did you get into studying languages? What I mean, you're, you you head to uni at 18, right? Yeah. So at 18, you had to have some exposure and love of languages. So how did, how did that happen? Yeah. So what happened? I started French at the normal age of 11, and I loved it right from the start hmm. because there's just such a beauty in seeing yourself and hearing yourself do something in another language even if it's simple sentences and from there when I started I think I was about 16 when I discovered my first books on linguistics um, which is the study more of languages in general, how languages relate to each other, languages in the brain. It's a massive discipline that covers everything from speech production. So, you know, the organs that make sound to 
languages in AI to grammar, syntax. Linguistics is everything about languages other than just learning the words and the grammar, if you see what I mean. And I loved that too. I just loved it. And yeah, it was one of those moments where you just think I've discovered the thing that I'm going to be thinking about for my whole life. And so far, like, that has been true. <laughs> hey guys, just a quick break to let you know this podcast is sponsored by my company, Ada Financial. You hate personal finance and rightfully so. Let Ada handle the boring stuff like investments, student loans and insurance so you don't have to. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or go to adafinancial.com. Now back to the show. Did you ever think about going down like the uh, like the academic path, you know, researching or translating manuscripts or? I did think about it, but I realized that what I love more than anything is talking to people as much as possible. And I did a degree and I did a master's in language, mind and brain. And I was upset by the fact that so much time was spent in libraries or in my room. I wanted to talk to people and communication is for me the most important part of language learning. And it's quite easy to lose that in academia, I think. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on immediate translation software where you don't have to learn a language in order to, in order to communicate with somebody in a different language? I think it has its place. I don't ever think it's going to replace learning a language in the sense of moving to the country and making meaningful connections and friendships or having a relationship or bringing up your children in that language. I don't use things like AI particularly in my work, but I wouldn't say I've got strong opinions on it either way. I think it's perfectly fine. And I encourage people when they are at the very beginning stages of setting up language exchanges, if they want to use Translate or whatever they've got on the language exchange apps, because sometimes it's built in, if they want to translate messages so that they can arrange those calls or they can get started, I don't see it as cheating and I don't see it as something to be avoided as long as you don't build up that dependency and then never find that you can you can get away from it, you know? What would you say to an American that says, or that thinks like, I already speak English. Most of the world already speaks English as well in some way, shape or form. Why the hell do I need to learn another language? Like, what's the point? It's a difficult one because in a lot of people's lives, they genuinely don't need to learn a language. And in that case, maybe they do want to dedicate that mental energy and that time to something that's going to benefit them. But for the people that do want to learn a language, there is so much out there to support them. And I think that's that's kind of something that's worth saying, actually. There is no pressure to learn a language, I don't think. You know, for a lot of people, it won't help them. It won't get them paid more. It won't necessarily open tons of doors. But for a lot of people, circumstances lead them there and they do want to learn one. And that's where I come in. Okay. So let's say they, yeah, so they take that next step. They they want to learn the language. They either want or they have to. What are some of the first steps? Like, what are some of the tools that you would recommend? How would you get them started? Well, I think the, the most important thing 
And this is actually something that I think is worth talking about. One of the things that the Language Confidence Project does is it draws on so many parallels between the language learning journey and entrepreneurship and people on creative journeys and people on fitness journeys, because it's all very similar in the sense of you've got a long journey, progress will be non-linear. You've got tons of people on the journey, but with loads of different goals at the end. You've got a lot of noise of people telling you what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing and reviewing masses of things and products and techniques. So I would say the very first thing that I would do before I even started looking at resources or anything like that is say, what do we want this language for? And develop that goal and not just a kind of, oh, I want to be at a two level or I want to be able to I want to be fluent because that's not a goal people cannot work backwards from I want to be fluent because it's not a word that means very much fluency means so many different things in different domains for some people it means almost at native level for some people it means just can send client emails without too many mistakes so I work on having this goal that you can see and you can hear and you can smell of, okay, where are you? What are you talking about? Who are you talking with? What sort of conversations do you want to be having? And how do you feel while you're doing it? And from there, we can work in a much more efficient way and we can look for resources that are going to get you there with your own personality and with your own brain and any neurodiversities that you have and any other things that you're working around like life circumstances because I think when you look at resources or routines first and then you try to shoehorn them into your own life that's where frustration happens whereas when you start with you as a whole person in the context of your own life at the moment you're less likely to try and do things because you think you should rather than because they're genuinely good for you. Hmm. That resonates so much because I operate under the same framework for my business when it comes to personal finance. Mm -hmm. I create this thing called a, called a money vision with my clients. And the idea is that you can say, I want to have a million dollars or I want to retire at 50, but it's not that resonant. It's not that meaningful. So we build essentially a vision board and we talk a lot about what does a rich life mean for you? Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, we kind of work backwards from that because whatever your, let's call it a suite of problems is, whether it's too high debt or you're not making enough money or you don't have enough in savings or whatever, there's not much of a, a purpose to saving mm -hmm. that extra money or to pay off that credit card bill when all you're looking at is a number on a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. What you need is, wow, I, whenever I reach my goals, it's going to be, I can travel freely again, or I can finally buy that that new big mattress that I wanted, something like mm -hmm. that, where it, it's so visceral. It's all about feeling. Yeah, but also there's a massive variety in people's language goals. You know, the difference in the most efficient path for a person that wants to be able to make friends in that language is so different from the person who wants to complete their PhD in a foreign university. Like the very things that they're going to be studying and how much time they allocate to different things is going to be vastly different. 
And if you're working on a PhD, for example, you're going to need to put so much more time into academic voice and reading and writing. Whereas if your primary aim is a social life in the country you've moved to, you can focus on speaking and almost set writing as a lesser priority. And all of those things, it's so common sense. But so many people, they are fixated on this idea that learning is a textbook and it is gap fills and it is quite a punitive environment in which their brain becomes often their harshest teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not just saying this, there are so many parallels between your practice and mine. There really are. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of all the same thing, right? Absolutely. And on that note, you've got your podcast. It's a daily podcast. I have no idea how you do that. We'll talk about that in a second. But I, I've been listening to it and I found myself struck by this idea that you could replace the word language or language learning or whatever with almost any sort of endeavor. Mm -hmm. And the podcast works. It's really just about, I mean, it's so refreshing and so fulfilling listening to your voice and it's just really nice i don't know how, how else to say it it's just a really nice comforting and inspiring thing to listen to so i don't know if there's a question there i just i don't know wanted to say thank you i guess if that's oh thank you so much but yeah so so back to my point it's i'm i'm sure you've thought about this but it's not really about languages because you could plug in any word in there so how did you come up with that framework and that philosophy I know there's got to be a method behind the madness, so so fill me in. I think, I know I said earlier that the parallels between language learning and entrepreneurship and a creative life and a fitness journey and, you know, so many other domains, there's a lot of wisdom that can be drawn from any one of them. And actually, when you're really struggling with something, if language learning is something that you've been forced to do by circumstance and you hated it at school and all of that kind of stuff. If you're looking for wisdom within the language domain, you might well find there are a lot of triggers there. And actually even language lovers can find that there are a lot of triggers there. And I find that when the triggers are there, the most, for me, effective way to get unstuck is to go to its neighbor. So when I needed something in my entrepreneurial journey and it was too much I would do exactly that I would go to the creative journeys or the fitness journeys and I would be looking for the same wisdom because it's the wisdom is there but the details are different enough that the triggers aren't in in my particular circumstance and in, in England we are now learning a language off the back of Brexit. So it's nowhere near as easy now as it was just a few years ago to be able to imagine building a life in France or Spain or Italy. And so watching our European neighbours just travel around freely, mm. it's difficult for us. So all of those kinds of things where you you find that your own journey feels a bit barbed or like there are all of these emotional barriers, by moving to the neighboring domains, it just feels better. And then you can take the wisdom without that filter 
I mean, in language learning, we call it the effective filter, which is where your stress levels go up or you're hungry or whatever it is that sort of blocks learning because you're too focused on sensation or stress. And so that's definitely true. But also finding lessons in everything is so important. And I think it's just not enough attention had been paid to all the other bits of language learning than, okay, what do I do? In what order? What should I read? And that's what I wanted my podcast to do. Mm-hmm. Do you have any specific goals with the podcast or is it just to? My goal is that people can come every single day or just when they need it to get unstuck. My podcast is five to 10 minutes a day, which means that it's not going to be like a cause of massive procrastination. People aren't going to spend hours just feeling productive because they're listening to a language adjacent podcast. But the thing of feeling supported and like your hand is being held through this journey, I think it's essential. And so my goal is that either every day or when people are having a specific problem, they can go and find a title that suits and they can just feel heard. Hmm. Okay. Let's say somebody comes up to you, they, they find your podcast, they see your website and they reach out and they say, Emily, look, I've been trying to learn this language for years. I'm barely conversational. I love it so much. I can't seem to find the time to dedicate to learning it. I know that I need something, an extra oomph. I don't know exactly what that is. I'd like to work with you. So what does that look like? What's the process like? How do we uh, measure success or not? What's it cost? Things like that. So help me fill in those gaps. I see what you mean. So generally when people come and work with me, we take a very, very holistic view of First of all, a lot of language specific things, you know, what have you tried so far? What are the sorts of frustrations you've been coming up against? And we look at all of their other interests. I mean, you said in your example that this person doesn't have time. So we'd be looking at, okay, where is your time going? And if, for example, it's another hobby or something that they really, really love because it fills them up and they've got all we'd be looking at ways to bring the language in. And we'd also be looking at the sorts of mental blocks around what time they think they need to have in order to learn their language. Because quite often when people say they don't have time, it's quite often about how long do you think you need in one sitting? Do you have this idea that language learning needs to be two hours of silent, concentrated textbook work? Are you imagining that you need to be able to work with an empty house where no one else is here? All of those kinds of things are also relevant because I know that when people say, oh, you can learn a language in five minutes a day, you're like, well, yeah, I really want to be fluent in 45 years. Thanks. But it is about sort of saying, well, how much time do we have now? How much energy as well? Because another thing I come up against a lot is people who do have the hours, but they're exhausted and mentally they just do not have the space and they're looking and they're like, well, I've got, I've got two hours a day. I could be doing all sorts, but time and mental space are not the same. And I think a lot of the time we beat ourselves up about that. 
So that's something we'd look at. And we'd look at their personality and the things that work for them in any other things that they've learned, because learning a language is not that different from learning anything else. So if they've done a sport or an instrument, we'd be looking at all of those kinds of things. If they say, I'm constantly going down rabbit holes on YouTube or whatever, we'd be looking at that too. Um, And all of that is data that's kind of, this is your toolkit. This is what your body and your brain and your habits are telling you about how you work right now. So let's use all that information and make a language learning roadmap that actually is going to work for you. Okay. Again, a lot of parallels to my practice. So I'm totally with you here. But again, I'm, I'm acting as a potential client and I'm like, okay, I love it. That sounds great. So How often do we meet? Like, what's the structure look like? What's the process? So right now I do a three month program in which people can either talk to me for one hour a fortnight or half an hour a week. And they have Voxer support. Voxer is a voice app. So they get voice message support in office hours. And they also get a Monday and a Friday check-in to see how they're doing with their goals for the week or any kind of projects they want to do. And I also send a prompt if they want one for some kind of creative project or a topic to study or something like that. If one of the issues is that they feel lost or they never know what they want to do. And yeah, so they have a call at the beginning before we start the three months, which sort of lays out all of the issues and all of the frustrations and all the things they've tried. And yes, when they leave, they have a roadmap for the next three months as well. So let's say, uh, and I think I know the answer to this, but let's say we get to the end of three months and I'm feeling confident. I feel like I've made strides in my language learning, but how do I know if it's been a success or not? How do I know if I want to continue for another three months or another another year or whatever. You know, because it feels like a language learning path that is yours. You don't feel buffeted by voices and noise. You know that what you're doing is directly contributing to your goals. You're not being pulled away into side quests where you're like, someone told me I should be doing this and someone's doing that. So I should do that too. You know what you're trying to do. You know that it's going to help you get to your specific goal. You've got a whole toolkit of study techniques and productivity techniques that are going to work for you and your personality and your life right now so you're not trying to just do something because maybe everyone else is doing it or because it feels like it should be what language learners do and yeah I think it's about having that ease in your own journey where it doesn't feel like a battle it doesn't feel scary there are uncomfortable moments where you do need to make a bit of a leap but they're never uncomfortable to the point where it feels like you're jumping a massive chasm you know what your steps should look like and they might be a bit of a stretch but they're never terrifying and that is what I would say a good language journey where you've carved your own path and it's perfect for you should look like. Do you have a particular niche or sweet spot in terms of the type of client that you work with? Or is it everything from, you know, Brazilian teenagers to American retirees? Or is there some sort of particular demographic that you like to work with? 
Most of my clients are people who are very creative and mission driven in their language learning. So they want to learn their language, but they also want to use it for good in the world. Mm. There are also a lot of people who have a, they, they normally identify as something like multi-passionate in that they're learning their language, but they also love so many things. They are really curious creative people and because of that that's where they tend to be feeling scattered so that is what we do in working to bring that roadmap all together it's not saying your language is coming like an elephant in the room it's going to sit there and it's going to like push all your other interests into the corners it's about bringing those things in and saying how can we use all of this to illuminate the language learning journey and to make you feel like a whole person in your language rather than just kind of I know a bit of this language in the sense of my house and then my city and then food and then family and that is where it's really about bringing you as a whole person of personality and experiences and likes and dislikes and all of that into this language and making you feel like you've got your identity and your language can support that rather than being kind of like well in my native language I've got so much I've done so much I've read so much I've got opinions I've got all these interests and then me in Spanish or or me in whatever other language is so two-dimensional and so like even if you are a world expert in something as soon as you're trying to translate it into a language in which you're a beginner you're you're almost back to I like it I don't like it I think that's true I think that's not true and that's really jarring for people because they feel like they've lost so much of them it's about bringing that back being like here's how we're going to make you not just a Spanish speaker, but you in Spanish. Mm. And this is a great time to to plug your website. If somebody's listening and they, uh, we'll put it in the show notes. But if they are interested in working with you, where should they where should they go? All right. Well, my website is brand new and it is so colorful. It is called the Language Confidence Project. So www.languageconfidenceproject.com. All of my podcast transcripts are also there. My podcast is called The Language Confidence Project, and you'll know that it is mine because the cover uses every color in the box. It is a beautiful website. Did you design it yourself? or It's designed based on a painting I've done. Wow. I, I had a web designer and I showed her the painting and I've got some journals as well. And um, my clothing is also very similar. So I showed her a whole range of all of the things. And I said, this is what I'm looking for. And these are the shapes I want and the color scheme and everything. So, yeah, it's all based on a painting. Do you have a favorite um, artist or painter? Yeah, the painting behind it's a it's a print uh, is by Leonard Afrimov, and a lot of the paintings that I do now are following tutorials by a wonderful, wonderful woman on YouTube called Suzanne Rose. She's a German mixed media painter, but I mean, she can do so many things, but the thing I most love is mixed media. And it's exactly the same again, because it's messy, because it's imperfect and it's just about pure expression. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there's a low barrier to entry, but you can see improvement anyway, if you know what I mean. The thing about mixed media is that even as a beginner, you can figure out how to express what you want to express. And that's kind of my philosophy and everything else as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how did you fall in love with uh, painting and, and watercolors? It's something I've always wanted to do. So as a child, I did nothing creative whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt like a creative person that just did not have an outlet. And combined with this idea that it's taken me years to shake, which is you can only paint, sing, whatever, when you're already good at it, it really got in my way. Because then I emerged as an adult and was like, I really love the idea of painting. I'd love to learn an instrument. I'd love to be able to do improv and all of those kinds of things. But I was always surrounded by this idea that you learn this stuff in childhood, you get good in childhood, and then you emerge as an adult that can do this stuff and you do it well. And so learning to be a beginner as an adult you really have to create that safe space for yourself if you've always been told that either you do it well or you don't do it at all. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you're pursuing from like a hobby perspective or is there anything else that you want to pursue in the future? Like something you just always wanted to learn or do? I just want to use color. And so I think painting and things like that, you know, watercolor especially is something that I would love to learn for the rest of my life mm-hmm. like I've only just started this is my first year but the more I do it the more I love it so that's definitely the case a mixed media as well where I can just play and that's been the thing as an adult teaching yourself that play is all right that it's okay that the image you have in your head is not what's on the paper in front of you or that you've got that gap between where you are and where you want to be been huge and it's one of those lessons you have to learn like a hundred times <laughs> what does your typical week look like in terms of working are you nine to five are you seven days a week are you 80 hours a week are you lifestyle business what's um what's that look like now and what is it oh, interesting question actually because one of the other things that I've had to work on sort of mentally in a thought leadership business is what is work (laughs) because in a business that is primarily idea-based you have to think is work something that happens at my desk is it something I do on my laptop what about reading? What about listening to podcasts? Like if I'm walking around a park, listening to a podcast that is going to funnel into my, into my own podcast or into my coaching, like, is that work? And if I'm on networking calls with people, is that, and that's been an entire journey where I think a lot of us who have worked in um, sort of traditional jobs first we go into our own businesses and just like I was saying we default to type and become our own worst teachers we can absolutely become our own worst bosses and we say you know you're not allowed to get up until it's lunchtime and you're allowed to have this much of a break and then you need to go and do these things before you're allowed to end your working day and it can easily feel like 
all you do is work and think about work and worry about work and worry about outcomes. I did a podcast episode about this, but the phrase, this is a rest, is really useful because the amount of times where you, I don't know, you end a call and you've got 15 minutes until the next one and you spend that time just worrying or replaying a conversation that didn't go well like five years ago or scrolling through your phone but in a way that makes you more anxious rather than less anxious that realization that that was a rest and you're allowed to use it as one is huge and I think a lot of us need that constant reminder of when I'm resting I'm not worrying I'm not replaying my childhood or like imagining these horrible things that might come in the future I'm resting, I'm turning my brain off, or I'm thinking about nice things, or I'm watching puppies or whatever it is that makes you feel like the world's okay. And then it's restorative. So how was that translated into your your week to week? Do you have a schedule or do you just... Uh... I need a schedule, but it's not regular in the sense of I do this every day at these times, because at the moment, life's not like that. Um, I experimented with a few things when I was starting. For example, the Pomodoro method is something that loads of people love and I really struggle with it because I can't transition from 45 minutes, alarm goes, okay, this is a break. So again, back to that toolkit of how does my brain work and what do I like and dislike? I don't transition well between tasks. Mm. So Pomodoro didn't work. But if I am doing, if I have a day where I've got lots of different tasks to do, Something that does work, which is actually similar to Pomodoro, is the idea of what I call patchwork days, which is you do 20 minutes of lots of things. And then if one of them sticks, you keep at it. Um, I don't transition well between tasks, but if I choose my tasks well, it's okay that I'm doing certain administrative tasks while I'm still in the mindset from the last one. It's not disruptive. And then if I on the days when I'm really struggling to get stuff done and I'm just feel like I'm not getting anywhere with anything, it takes the pressure off of just struggling for potentially a whole day on one thing when you've got that patchwork of I'll do 20 minutes of this and if it doesn't stick, it's fine. I'm not going to linger on it because I'm going to move on to the next mm -hmm. thing and I'll do that until it sticks and then I will turn off my alarm. Interesting. Any... um surprises good or bad from being an entrepreneur I don't think I realized when I was getting into this how bewildered I would feel most of the time mm -hmm. um and I don't know if your journey has been the same in this but the confusion of when you're doing the kind of work where there isn't a blueprint you know it's not a case of I buy my kit and then the next day I start making my thing and then a week later I start selling my thing it's like you're constantly trying to figure out just the next step and yeah I I think it's just again like language learning it's easy to imagine that people who are fluent are really special in some way they've got these amazing brains or they've got the great ear for languages or whatever and I think entrepreneurship is the same so much of what we hear and we see in the media are stories of almost like this business fairy just sort of landed a business on your lap 
um, you had an idea, you worked really hard, you did hustling for a time unspecified, and then you emerged successful and probably rich and also really well connected and so competent. And the reality of getting to that point is generally one of just feeling really confused. That is what I would say. You gotta wear a lot of hats, right? Yes, so many hats. Yeah. So what does success look like for you? You look out one, three, five years, you've got this dream life, dream job, dream clients. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? So mission-wise, I would love really I would feel like I was doing my job well if we could change the conversations around language learning that would be a marker for success if universities and language schools were putting time and energy into not only teaching students the vocabulary and the grammar but also all the stuff that gets in the way and that throws people off in their language learning I think that would be a marker of this is my job well done. In terms of what I would love my life to look like, I would love to speak on stages to audiences about all of the things that, first of all, language learning can bring them, but also the parallels in the other aspects of their lives, the entrepreneurship, the creative lives, because I think it's so important. And I would love to be able to travel again. Yeah, since the pandemic, the world has felt really small. Mm. And in starting a business, I know you've talked about this on some of your previous episodes, when you are in the beginning stages of a business and there is an aspect of scarcity there, all of these things are put on hold. And I would love to be able to travel again and to be able to use my languages off screen. <laughs> it would make all the difference to feeling like a whole person in my language. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's what success looks like. I'm growing into the person I want to be. And I know that and I'm happy mm -hmm. about that. I've got a creative outlet that child me would have been thrilled about mm -hmm. um and so yes for me now it would be a case of getting my message out there knowing that it was making a difference and that people were enjoying learning a language more because it is so possible it's so doable like it is not a pipe dream to a get to where they want to be in a language but b not hate it <laughs> like it is so doable and I want people to know that. Mm, I can feel the uh, I can feel the enthusiasm, and I think you're tailor made for the stage. You've got the passion, you've got the energy, you've got the mission, you've got the look. I mean, it's just a matter of time. I have no doubt. Um, okay, I want to get back to languages. So, somebody who's absolutely fascinated by languages, I I love everything about them. I, I read about them. I study them. I you know I'm trying to learn one off and on at least curious like is, has there has there been a language that you have tried and you just can't figure it out or maybe a better question is do you have like a dream language so to speak oh this is such a difficult one because there are so many languages that I would love to be able to learn but I am very much a one language at a time person um back to our toolkits I am not a multitasker and so if I can just focus and put all my energies into one language I'm at my happiest. 
but that does mean that of course there are all these languages that I'm like I would love to be able to study them but that won't happen for at least two years and I'll choose one more like we're not I'm not a language collector by any means um, in the sense of like dabbling in in a few at once there are so many languages I love the sound of um I've studied Korean as a teenager and would love to be able to go back to it because now there are so many more resources than there once were. Um, so that would be a very different experience now if I went back to it. I lived in China and, oh, this is something that I think a lot of people will find very sort of strange is that I'd studied a lot of spoken Mandarin before I went and I spoke quite a lot when I was there in Chinese, but I didn't really learn reading and writing other than the very most common characters. And as I'm sure you know, Chinese is not written in an alphabet. It's written in kind of symbols that represent words. And so the weirdest thing when I was living in China was the silence when you go out into the streets or you go into a supermarket or whatever it is and there's all this writing everywhere and none of it goes into your head like advertising posters information boards names of shops and names of products whatever it is none of it goes in it's like you experience this silence in a way you will never experience it in a language where you already know the alphabet and that is weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is Korean your dream language or is it? Is it... I, that's the thing. I don't know if I have a dream language. Turkish is so beautiful just to listen to. It has a lovely musicality to it. Welsh is fascinating mm. and I love listening to it. I'd love to go back to Mandarin. The language that I focus on at the moment is still Brazilian Portuguese. How how do you stay up to date with Spanish and French and the other languages that you know while learning Portuguese? Language maintenance is a whole other skill, honestly. And the reality is the only way you can keep up to date is to keep using it and in as many ways as you can. So having conversations and listening to things in a whole range of topics and reading Like there is no shortcut to if I study in a particular way the first time, can I just make it stay? Like you've just got to keep it up. It's like plate spinning. But, and I would say this, a lot of people really panic when they go back to a language and all of a sudden they feel like a novice again. And it's never gone as far as you think it has. It's kind of an analogy I often use is it's like frozen peas that you need to defrost. Or when you go to a gym and you try to do your old workout after a long time away, most of the mental and emotional aspect of language maintenance is not being frightened of what you think you've lost and just having that patience and that acceptance that it isn't gone. You're not starting from beginner level again, and it will come back. And you just need to trust A, yourself and B, the language and not beat yourself up and not shy away from it because you're worried it's going to like show you a failure version of yourself. Mm. So I know this is a this is a hard question because I, I I get this question all the time. Um if there's one thing that I could just tell as many people as possible, it would be to spend less than you earn. Simple as that. 
That's mm -hmm. half the battle when it comes to yeah. personal finance. Is there yeah. anything like that in your opinion when it comes to language learning? Like if you could just tell a million people right now, what, is, what would that be? Know what your goal is and make sure your goal is super specific. So you know that your goal is to do that PhD in that language or speak to you know, groups of women that have the same interests as you in bars in that country and know that goal because that is the one thing that's going to tell you all the things you need to study, all the places your energy needs to go. Otherwise, if you just think I need to learn a language so I can speak the language, I need to know the whole language, that is huge. What are you going to do with that? So yeah, the single piece of advice that is the most important is know what you're doing it for and be really specific about it mm. yeah what would be your dream language if you could learn any and it doesn't need to be super practical doesn't need to be useful what would it be uh i have three answers okay the, the easy mm -hmm. one is spanish like I, i've been doing it for so long i just want to snap, snap my fingers and be fluent and just be done with it mm. but that's that's the easy answer the two real answers for two different reasons. One is French, mm -hmm. just because I just I just think it sounds so cool. The other mm -hmm. answer is Arabic, specifically yes. Lebanese Arabic, because that's the language that my father speaks, and mm -hmm. he never taught it to us growing up. And it just would be cool to go back to the motherland, so to speak, and talk with relatives. Yeah. So I think I think my answers would be French or Arabic. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. There are just so many rabbit holes to go down, aren't there? Yeah, I love it. So is there anything else that I or the listeners should know about you? Or I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah, me too. I think this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me to chat with you. I know when we first met, you were like, I am obsessed with the languages and I really want to have a conversation. And I love talking about languages and I love that you're learning Spanish and that you're going on both the language journey and the entrepreneur journey at the same time. I think so many things that you learn in one will go into the other. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think it's, and I think you would agree with this too, is that the love of learning is half the battle in life. Definitely. If you maintain curiosity, then you're going to go far, at least in terms mm -hmm. of fulfillment. Um, okay, well, I'm going to link to everything in the show notes, but Emily, this is this was great. I, I I just love your energy, and it's um it's contagious. So thank you for taking oh. up the time, and well, thank you for having me and for making me feel so welcome as well. I've so enjoyed chatting with you today. Me too. Take care.